What is up guys? This is All The Smoke on Strength and Physique with your hosts Adam and Chris, where we provide you with evidence-based information, community support, and recognition to all who are bettering themselves with fitness. Welcome back to All The Smoke on Strength and Physique, man. We got another special guest. I don't, not a doctor, but master's in science. Is that correct? No. So I actually just have a bachelor's in exercise science, guys. Oh, okay. Well, that goes to show sometimes the degree don't really mean anything, but the experience (laughs) and the the grit um, of really just educating yourself and going through everything. We got William. Can you please pronounce your last name so I don't butcher it? Yep. Grazione. Grazione. William Grazione. So boss man, uh, for those listeners that tuning in that don't know who you are, could you please go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Obviously, I hope that all the words that we say are going to be a blessing to our audience. Um, and for those of you who don't know who I am, what I do, I'm the owner of The Educated Dieter, which is a online nutritional coaching uh, company. We're actually based out of Lutz, Florida. We have an office here in Lutz. I have my assistants that work here in the office as well. And uh, our primary goal is to create a community where people understand evidence-based nutritional concepts to a much greater degree. Um, and through working with a large variety of clientele, I mean, we have clients from Hawaii all the way to Australia. You know, our goal is to be able to optimize client compliance through education and leading with communication. Now, when you talk about education and stuff like that, could you go ahead and kind of dive into where it all began and how you are now with the educated dieter, as we talked about before, yeah, you, sure. You had ground groundbreaking with Gold's Gym, and now you are uh, you're still a personal <laughs> trainer currently. No, as well? I don't. I don't really personal train much anymore. Um, I I train a couple of my friends out of my office here in Lutz. I have a a gym over in the back, um, and it's just a lot of fun. You know, I, I don't charge them anything. I just I just work out with them because I you know again it's all predicated on education. So if I can teach you how to do like the big three or some of these movements where we're addressing things like biomechanics and how your body's supposed to move, how you're supposed to activate muscle fibers and things like that, then essentially what I'm doing is I'm creating a foundation so that you understand exactly how to move your, your body anytime you enter a gym for the rest of your life, right? So why the educated dieter essentially came to be, um, it actually goes way, way back, man. It actually goes back to after I graduated from college, uh, moved back in my, my my mom's house and I was working as a personal trainer at Gold's Gym. And um, I remember I was just so eager to learn more because I felt like I didn't get the education that I needed in academia. Um, a lot of my education came after I graduated from academia. Um, and it was essentially because I was always very eager to learn. And I was very open-minded. Um, a closed mind does not get fed. And I think that's very, very important. Okay. So you have to be very open-minded with things, even though they may not, uh, formulate or, um, you know, be, I suppose in the same ethos as maybe your bias. So being very open-minded to a lot of things helped me out a ton. Um, and I remember one time, I came home and I said, mom, I'm teaching people so much in the gym. This is incredible. Like, I feel like I'm actually making a change. And she said, but Bill, like, do you realize that if you do that, you're going to work yourself out of the job? (laughs) And I said, mom, you don't understand the exact opposite is happening because I'm educating. People are actually referring their friends to me. And within like three months, my whole book was filled out. Um, 
to where, you know, the, the amount of hours I was working on, on the gym as a personal trainer, um, they were all taken. And when I wasn't, you know, training a client, I would be up in my office, like writing an article about something and I would print them all out and I'd put them on the counter. So as gym members were either coming in or going out, they could take one of these articles with them. And, you know, it was just easy stuff, right? It's like, here's a recipe, like go home and have a, have a Greek yogurt parfait with granola and berries and this. And then some of the other stuff was like, here's a free training program, like use this free training program. Right. And I was just trying to provide value. And I think that for any new online coach or personal trainer or whatever, if you're approaching it from a mindset of scarcity, you're doing it all wrong. Like you got to approach it from a mindset of abundance and giving and education. And essentially through us being able to do that at the, the educated dieter, um, it's really amazing. But I'd say probably 70% of our clientele at the educated dieter, they're either doctors, registered dietitians, personal trainers, um, nutrition coaches, um, or uh, nurses. Like there's a lot of highly educated people that we actually coach here at the educated dieter. And essentially it's because a lot of people just want the education. So if you think about what creates transformational change over the course of a long duration of time, the more you can teach your clients, the better you're going to equip them to be able to handle their own diet for the rest of their life. If you're giving them a meal plan, you're printing out some cookie cutter crap, what's going to end up happening is that they're not going to learn anything from you. And then they're going to have to essentially deal with the consequences and repercussions of metabolic adaptation adaptation. And then they're going to have to go find a new coach. So I have a saying, it's like, if you know, if you hire an amateur, if you think hiring an amateur is expensive, you know, wait till you have to hire a professional. It's the truth. Like eventually you're going to need to hire that professional, right? So pay the extra money, get somebody that actually knows what they're doing versus going super duper cheap and getting somebody that could end up ruining your, your health long-term anyway. So I, that's some great stuff. I have questions about that process. What's that time frame that you were like? Cause I'm currently at your beginning stage. I just graduated and wanting to learn a ton more considering probably definitely going back for my doctorate in physical therapy, just because yeah. I, I feel like I don't, the more I learn, the more I don't know. Like, Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. So I was actually wanting to go get my master's in physical therapy before I found bodybuilding. Um, this would rewind back a long time ago, but my whole thing, why I got my bachelor's in exercise science was to go out and become a physical therapist. Um, and essentially what I realized was that it was going to cost me a hundred K extra in debt. <laughs> and I did play football in college. So I, I had a scholarship, but it didn't cover everything. Right. So when I graduated, I got this big bill and I'm like, damn, I'm 22 years old and I owe a lot of money. Um, and so the whole idea of, I guess, going through this phase, it took a couple of years to just to be able to find myself as a, a young man and trying to de determine what I wanted for my life. Like there were times where I realized, all right, I'm not going hundred K in debt to go back to school. Um, I tried to be a police officer for Hillsborough County Sheriff's department that didn't end up working out. They wanted to stick me in the prison. And I'm like, dude, I spent my whole life being a good, a good dude. Like I'm not going to be, you know, locked in jail. Um, and uh, that was when I started natural bodybuilding. So I think it's important to highlight a couple pioneers that I found very early on because I'm just somebody I'm going to give respect where it's due. Um, Dr. Joe Klemzuski and Lane Norton essentially helped pave the way for me. Um, and, you know, I, I found a lot of their information um, actually kind of more so in a reactive state. So I tried to prep myself for my very first show. Okay. 
and I failed miserably in my first attempt. <laughs> I saw Flex Lewis on TV and he was eating tilapia, salad, and mustard. And I'm like, well, damn, he's one of the best in the world. So I got to do the same thing. Um, and uh, I tried it for a week and dude, I about passed out like in the gym. Um, and then I remember taking what little cash I had to the public library, printed out all the articles I could find from Dr. Joe and Lane. And I started to uh, staple things together, highlight things, you know, find the important information that I needed regarding, you know, proteins, tracking macros, metabolism, fat loss, cardio types, training types, various things like that. And I assembled a program for myself that eventually allowed me 12 weeks later to win the overall at my very first show. Um, and then from that point, that's kind of how the personal training kind of blew up. And I know I didn't talk about that, but, um, I just wanted to give credit where it's due. Um, and then also kind of go back and highlight the fact that it was not easy. Like there's nothing supposed to be easy about it. Like I, I was working four jobs at the time, just trying to get, get, get by and just trying to find who I was going to be. And ultimately there was a lot that had to do with my ability to have faith in myself, uh, my ability to have people that believed in me to be able to get to where I'm at now. Um, and then my own internal faith and confidence that I needed to quit all those jobs and really focus on the online coaching. Because at the time I was working with about 20 clients. We had already won four pro cards and I never charged anybody a dollar. Yeah. So like for me, I'm like, wow, well, we've already won four pro cards. Like maybe I'm kind of good good at this because i had some of my clients that were going to shows in the state of florida which back then there was only a couple really good coaches that were producing clients that were at these shows and my clients were winning the shows and i was like i'm not even like a full-time coach at this thing like what if i what if i actually focused on it you know um and then i remember my boss at the time where i worked as a janitor a martial arts instructor and a personal trainer um he said will do you understand if you put as much energy and effort into your into your business as you put into your body you're unstoppable and i said wow that's mind-boggling because i was so fixated on me and my own physique and the and all the detail that goes into tracking and training and and all that that i finally said you know what he's right and i quit working out for like an entire month and i just focused on trying to grow the business and that was probably the most pivotal month for me because I went from working those four jobs um, to only doing online and maybe making a couple grand a month doing the online deal. Um, and then my first full year in business, man, I triple, I tripled my income from working the four jobs. So you never focused on building your business while personal training then? Is that what it sounds like? Um, not my, like, I guess not... Ne not necessarily my online coaching business. So my gym had this idea that I was charging people while I was personal training at the gym and getting my clients from the gym. And so I had to have that hard conversation with the general manager at the gym, right? He call, calls me in. He's like, hey, Will, um, you know, I've noticed that you're doing diets for people because back then there was no Instagram. Uh, we had Facebook and like some people used Facebook um, and they would say like, I've lost 10 pounds working with tag William Grazion. Um, and so the gym kind of started to pick up on that. And um, then they're like, look, well, you're either going to have to choose like you're either 100 percent Gold's Gym or you're not Gold's Gym at all. You know, and I was like, wow, OK, can you give me a week to think about it? And um, full transparency, you know, during that week, I decided to go all in on myself. Um, 
at the time I was already relatively good friends with Lane. So like him and I had met at a bodybuilding show in 2010. And then after that, we actually became pretty good friends and like, we go fishing and stuff. And, you know, um, and I remember calling him up and I'm like, Hey bro, like the gym just put me into a corner. And he's like, well, let's weigh this thing out. And this is good for any young entrepreneur that might be in this position. And I appreciate you asking me the question because in all fairness, I was stuck, man. I was like, do I, because at the time that gym was my life. You know what I mean? Like everything that I did, I was a janitor out of that gym and I became one of the best trainers in that gym. I, every single bodybuilding session that I had was out of that gym. Like the gym was everything to me and to walk away from it was, to, was hard, but I had to make the decision to go all in on me. And I remember leaving the gym, I, I could call him up or maybe I sent him a text message. I'm not sure. And, um, I told him everything. We laid out the financial details of it and everything. And he goes, tell the gym to kick rocks. You can do this. And I was like, well, if he's telling me I can do it, you're damn right. I can do it. You know? Um, and, um, from that point, you know, it didn't take much, but about a month before I had whatever income I was missing was back, uh, was back in my pocket and we were kind of off to the races. You know, so yeah, I think for any personal trainer that's in that position that works for a gym um, and they want to go full time online or full time themselves, um, it's a it's it's a challenging decision to be made. And I can't speak for anybody else, but I can tell you that it was the most empowering decision I've probably ever made in my professional career. Yeah, and the reason why I ask is I am that young entrepreneur trying yeah. to transition to strictly online coaching, uh, yeah. natural bodybuilding as well. Okay, cool. I have no belts under my hand, but I'm doing the exact same thing you did initially is mm -hmm. just trying to set myself up for the best success so yeah. I can go in and win my overall my first time. Yeah. Uh, and it luckily, I'm very transparent with my bosses at Crunch. Crunch is where I currently work. Yep. And they're understanding that as long as I'm not taking clients from crunch, then that's not an issue, which yeah. hasn't had, I haven't had with that transparency. I haven't had any major conversations. I think one, uh, um, a manager had came in and started questioning me and I felt very uh, attacked personally, but yeah, it's, it's their, it's their job to protect their club as well. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, and too, like I wasn't accepting money at that time. It was more like I used everybody as like a case study. Like that was my goal was to make case studies. Cause I'm like, if I can prove I'm good, that's all I need. Yeah. Like that's the foundation of my business. And I proved yeah. that I was good. I made a bunch of trans transformations before and after. And then when they gave me the ultimatum that week, like I said, that week that I was like, can I have a week to think about it? What I did was I took any money that I had, which was not, not much. I had like 300 bucks in my account. Okay. I drained my account and I went to play it against sports and I bought this cheap squat rack, like a bench, some dumbbells. I got some free stuff. Um, I got some weights from an alleyway and I cleaned them up and I put them all in my garage and that week I built my own small gym in my garage and I started to charge my nutrition clients a hundred bucks a month. Right. And then, so I was like, all right, well now I've fully committed. Like now it's, it's now or never. 
And that was probably the hardest transition for me, man, was just because um, my wife at the time, she had a good paying job that helped us out a lot with our bills. I mean, she was paying the majority of the bills and stuff. Um, and I, as a man, like I legit went like a month without getting a paycheck. So they, that was probably the hardest part. Um, but then once, you know, I, I realized what I was doing and I started to uh, have more time to focus on my on my craft and my skill, um, you know, then the business essentially easily grew from there. Yeah. And I think that's another important thing that people don't see is we're trying to build because I'm doing the exact same thing now, uh, mm -hmm. working for free. I'm trying to get some bodybuilding clients, bikini prep clients, and I'm yeah. doing it for free mainly yeah. just because I want the experience. I know I have the proper education. USF is very strongly oriented towards bodybuilding, yeah. uh, but it's just a grind at first. But something that Adam mentioned, and I'm really glad he wanted to ask is blood work. How do mm -hmm. you blood work? Or if when, when does it become an important factor to know for guiding clients through dieting or like a reversal process? Yeah, sure. So I, I love that question. Um, before I knock it out, I want to go ahead and give some respect to uh, Dr. Bill Campbell and the uh, exercise science department over there at University of South Florida. Shout um, out to him. Yeah, it, it's I actually mean, crazy. Going into my master's, he was the person that changed me from going towards the strength and conditioning field towards the bodybuilding field. I had mm. never had an interest in it until yeah. he taught it. The man's so passionate, edu educated, so okay. such a great professor and a researcher. Yeah, man. I mean, I remember back in, geez, I think it was 2015 or 2016, I was uh, with Dr. Campbell at one of Lane's VIP events here in Tampa. Um, came up to me and he asked me, he's like, hey, Will, like, uh, have you ever used any diet breaks with your clients? Which we'll, we'll probably talk about that a little bit later. Um, but let's go ahead and dive into this. That was kind of what started Bill and I's relationship was just, he just started asking questions about like refeed strategies and diet breaks and stuff like that. And at the time I had already been using them quite extensively. I started using diet breaks in 2014. Um, and so I had already accumulated a fair amount of data um, and I was more than happy to share it with them. So um, as far as data goes and receiving data and gathering data at the educated dieter, if there are clients that come to us and they are symptomatic of having some level of hormone dysfunction. Now this typically only happens in women. Uh, I can tell you, I maybe less than five guys uh, that I've coached have had some level of, you know, um, uh, uh, whether it be a thyroid issue, hormone imbalance or something like that. I would say in today's society, low testosterone is pretty common with most men, um, specifically if maybe they're utilizing some type of pharmaceutical grade drug or they're under high stress or they're working a lot of hours or so on and so forth. Um, but we do recommend getting a full comprehensive weight loss panel from lifeextension.com. Okay. The primary reason that we recommend that is because what it does is it gives us a very good look on the inside of the person's body. What I mean by this is that if we are to walk into a gym, right, and we hire a personal trainer. Now, personal trainers are not supposed to know how to read blood work, so I don't want anybody to confuse this. However, they're looking at you and they're saying, okay, well, Sarah has to lose 20 pounds of body fat to look the way she wants to look. I am completely ignoring anything regarding her internal health. And my job is just to work her out as hard as, as hard as I can to reach the result. So what do I do? I implement a diet program. She comes to see me three days a week. I have her pushing a prowler, doing all this hit cardio. She loses the weight, but we're not necessarily aware of the internal hormonal side effects of that 20 pound fat loss. 
Okay. And so I can't just address somebody from the external physique perspective. I also want to address them from the internal health perspective, because I believe that your internal health is a direct correlation to your external appearance. Okay. So with that being said, weight loss comprehensive panel from lifeextension.com, um, you know, it, it's like 200 bucks. Um, if you have really good insurance and you can get it through your doctor, then I would say go that route. Um, but I would not recommend going through somebody else because it can, it can, sometimes it can cost you seven or 800 bucks to get everything that you would need to have checked. Now, what we're looking for um, for the weight loss comprehensive panel, we're looking at a standard CMP, standard CBC, your vitamin D3, uh, which most people are very deficient in. So most people's labs that we take a look at, um, man, their labs are coming in between 15 vitamin D and like 30, somewhere around there. The optimal range would be somewhere between maybe 80 and 100. If we can get between 80 and 100, chances are uh, we're we're essentially optimizing your pre-hormone, which is vitamin D, that it can essentially open up all of the pathways to allow all of your other hormones to flow. Um, and why this is happening is very simple. It's because people spend so much time inside and nobody gets to direct sunlight, especially people that live in climates where maybe in the winter, you know, they don't even see the sun for like six months in a row, you know, or it's raining or it's snowing and things like this. So a lot of people actually become vitamin D efficient. Um, so I would highly recommend that you have your vitamin D checked. As far as the other hormones, we're looking at stress hormones such as cortisol. Uh, we're looking at sex hormones like testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. And then we're also looking at thyroid hormones such as uh, your thyroid stimulating hormone or TSH, T4, T3, which is your metabolically active hormone, and then reverse T3, which is a which is the unusable form of thyroid hormone that typically elevates as cortisol elevates. So there's a direct correlation typically with reverse T3 and cortisol. So usually that's where, that's what we're usually looking for. Uh, to break it down very simply, we're looking for stress hormones, sex hormones, and thyroid hormones. Okay. Now, how we use this um, in terms of maybe, you know, working with a client is to say, if we have somebody that has some level of dysfunction occurring, whether they have really bad GI problems, whether they can't lose body fat despite eating very low calories and doing a lot of cardio, um, maybe they're, they're, they're having hair loss issues, dry skin issues, um, amenorrhea in young females or any female for that matter. Um, there's a lot of things that could be the potential red flag to where we would say, hey, I think it's a good idea for you to spend this $200 and get your bloods checked. Okay. And when we get those bloods back, we can then determine the internal health of the person. So if we can determine the internal health of the person, we, as the coach at that point in time, we can provide validation for our efforts to focus on health. If a client comes to you and they say, I just want to lose 10 pounds of body fat and say, okay, Sharon, well, just so you know, your cortisol is at 25 and your reverse T3 is 21. She says, what does that mean? And then we can educate. Okay, well, it means that your body's under a high state of stress. So then maybe we could check their blood sugar as well. And if they're insulin resistant, well, guess what? We probably need to bring stress down. You know what I'm saying? So you can't bring stress down if you're focusing on an intentional calorie deficit and doing a bunch of exercise. You have to bring stress down by being proactive and programming in recovery methods. Okay, so recovery methods such as maybe bringing training down, eating more calories, 
trying to you know maybe transition yourself from maybe being in a sympathetic dominant state which is a high stress fight or flight response maybe into being more in a parasympathetic state which is kind of more of a calm easing energy um, and if we can do that with them usually over the course of six months chances are we can get them in an amazing position to lose body fat and have an epic transformation but if we don't do that first that, that, that process for them is going to be very, very challenging because again, you don't know what you don't know. So if I take this high stress person or this estrogen dominant female or this very low testosterone female, you know, a whole host of things and we place them into a calorie deficit. Okay. And we don't know what's going on inside, but we keep trying to take away calories and take away calories and add more cardio and add more cardio. We're actually doing more harm to their female physiology than any good. And it's all because you, the coach, don't have the awareness. Now, what is like the, the red light uh, for you to really stimulate or request this blood work? Is it going into a deficit and her kind of giving you that feedback of coach? Like, it's just, I feel like crap, I'm high stress. Or is it when somebody comes to you, hey, I've, here's my diet report. I've mm -hmm. ate really low. I have tried so many cycles of certain diets and I just, yeah. it just is nothing's working. Is that where you're like, okay, let's look at this blood work. Or are you saying, Hey, let's actually just go straight to reverse to see how you feel from mm -hmm. a reverse. Or again, yeah. it seems like you're let's use this blood work so I can have an objective measure to educate you one and two. So we can kind of reflect back of why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. So now I definitely see it as an objective measure to be able to essentially paint the picture for what we should be doing. Because again, if we can reverse diet somebody for a very, maybe six months or more, um, then we'll typically see their blood work improve as well. Okay. So we can not only just say this arbitrary number of, and you guys have heard this before, but you got to reverse diet for six months in order to get all your hormones back in balance and so on and so forth. What we can essentially do is if you're looking at blood panels, you can actually see, is that true? Like it was six months enough time because if it was fantastic, but for some women, it might not be. I've had to reverse diet. Somebody, I think the, 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 the PR, I guess you would call it, uh, was 13 months. It took us to get her back to functioning perfectly. Um, and now she's actually dropped like 37 pounds. But during that time, she actually had to gain about a dozen. You know, she was not happy with me. She almost quit at six months in. But I told her, like, look, you don't have any other options. Like, what else are you going to do? And she just stuck with it. At nine months, we kind of had we kind of had a breakthrough at nine months because she was like, I just don't care anymore. Like, I just don't care about being lean and losing body fat. Like, I understand now we're in a health phase. And I oftentimes tell people that when when women can psychologically let go of the stress that maybe they're carrying regarding losing body fat and all that it's usually a much more freeing environment for them. And then from that point, three months later, her body actually started to kind of naturally respond all by itself. I didn't even make any macronutrient adjustments, but what I noticed was that it's almost like her body composition started to change for the better. So like she started to get a little bit tighter. Uh, it looked like she was starting to build a little bit more muscle. She was sleeping incredibly well. And um, once her body started to do that, then I'm like, let's go ahead and try this thing out because we tried it at six months. Uh, I did not try it at nine months, but then at 13 months, we tried again. And like I said, she's dropped like 37 pounds over the course of the, of, I'm not sure how much time it's been, but now she's down 37 and we can bump her calories back up, bump her carbohydrates back up to over 200 grams a day. And she just hold, hold, holds her new weight, you know? So um, a lot of it's 
to be able to take a look at the data, have extra information, because again, it's like, if I'm just telling you, yeah, it's going to take us six months to reverse, but I don't have anything to support that, you know, and, and keep in mind too, I coached people for eight years before I ever looked at a blood panel. So I'm not saying that you absolutely have to. I'm just saying that once I started to do it, it opened my eyes up to what I was missing for the last eight years. Um, I will also say, what's the red, I guess the red, the red flag, as you, um, as you put it. Um, usually these women know they have some type of issue uh, when they reach out to us. Now, I will say that I choose to believe my clients, especially if I do like a diet audit and I look at, okay, send me an example of everything you're eating every single food, put it on some paper, send it to me in an email. I need to see it because you, you guys know as well as I do that dietary adherence is the number one reason why people don't reach their goals. Right now on one side, people would say, well, if they're not losing body fat, it's just because they're not adherent to their diet. And I just saw it so often to where these women were adherent to their diet. They are exercising they are eating pretty low calorie, you know, they're doing their cardio and they're still not responding. So then at that point in time, then there's this red flag where I have to say, why are you not responding? Like your, you know, your calories are low, cardio is high, what's going on here. Um, and many a time, this is where, you know, maybe those women would also have like GI problems, um, hypothyroid problems, maybe an estrogen dominance due to maybe birth control um, or a, a change or a transition in birth control or something like that. So um, that's kind of, I guess, the foundation of what we approach or what we look at. So this is a psychological question. Uh, yeah. How much of that at that nine month mark where she finally fully bought in, she was like, I'm not worried about getting lean. How mm -hmm. much of her success after that was from the psychological side, do you think? Then can I add to that? What are yeah. you trying to change mindset wise? I know you keep saying now, hey, we're focusing on health. But a lot of people don't want to hear that, right? They come mm -hmm. to you, I want to lose fat. Now you're increasing yeah. calories. But what are you, how are you describing it to switch their mindset into, okay, this is about health. This is about the long haul. Yeah. So a lot of it, uh, in my opinion, regards or it's, it's around a pivot. And when I say a pivot, what I mean by that is that they've been told their entire lives that eating less and doing more is the only way for them to lose body fat. And keep in mind, most of these people that we're talking about, you know, they're the ones that are going to the, to the grocery store and seeing the, the magazine and the checkout line, you know, and they're like, lose 20 pounds in 20 days or eat these colorful containers, try this medical fat loss diet. Right. And for a lot of them, the reality is pretty simple. Like you only have two options. Okay. You're either going to go back to the hell that you came from, which is the classic yo-yo low calorie, you know, maybe a, lo a lot of cardio, cardio kickboxing classes, F45, orange theory, all that stuff in a fasted state, 5am, you know, and you're going to keep spinning your wheels or your other option is to trust in this process of eating more, understanding exercise science, understanding metabolic science, and actually doing something that long-term is gonna make you feel better. And when you start to feel better, chances are that's when the results start to happen. Um, and for a lot of them, it's the reality that, hey, you can eat more, do less, and you can actually start to build the muscles that you've been trying to build for the last 10 years you could actually start to feel better. Now, keep in mind that progress in and of itself is not specifically for a lot of people like this. It's not predicated solely on just weight. A lot of it's predicated on how they feel 
are they waking up with energy? Are they able to fall asleep at night? When they go to the gym and train, do they have the energy to train? Um, you know, are they sweating during their workouts? Um, you know, how they feel about themselves, um, their dietary adherence, um, their hunger hormones, like, you know, their ghrelin levels and can they actually adhere to the program that you've created for them? And once they start to feel the benefits, usually it's, I don't have to say much after that because they understand, wow, I've been doing this to myself for far too long. And now I firmly understand what I need to do to get my quote unquote health back. And once I can get my health back, then we can actually start to go into that fat loss phase later on. But, you know, a lot of it is them just understanding that, you know, by you treating yourself the way that you have for the last five, 10 or more years, you know, you've essentially taken the capabilities of performance of a V8 engine, right? And you kind of make it like a six cylinder or a four cylinder, right? And so all I'm trying to do is get the spark plugs back running. I'm trying to clean the thing up. I'm trying to optimize the performance. And once we can do that, they start to get really strong. I would say that's probably the difference um, is the psychological perspective of cardio bunny to building muscle and getting really strong. It's like female empowerment. You know what I mean? Um, it, it, it's a life-changing thing, but you know, I feel like it's what everybody needs. So this is great information in regards to the average individual that's not either competing in sports or looking to compete in bodybuilding. Yeah. But let's transition to a bodybuilding approach. Someone yeah. who needs to get super, super lean. What do you look for in your clients that are trying to enter prep and we'll get into peak week after that. Okay, cool. So, um, before I dive into prep and I know I'm like jumping all over the place here, but, um, I appreciate the questions. Um, the importance to consider when we're talking about like post-show recovery and or contest prep in general is that if you are a female, you have to understand that you will be hit the hardest during any, any type of fat loss phase or competition prep or anything like, like that. And there's some pretty interesting research that, that actually documented a female physique athlete going through a prep. It was a 16 week prep and it was a 16 week recovery phase. And they had blood work done at three different stages of that. So they had blood work done at the beginning, had blood work done at the end, and they had blood work done uh, beginning, end of prep, and then end of reverse. And it was four, four months of re reverse dieting. And they dieted down in a linear fashion, no, you know, no intentional refeeds or anything like that. And then they reverse dieted in the same linear fashion back up. And the interesting thing to consider was that all hormones returned back to baseline except for testosterone and T3. Okay. Now training volume that necessarily wasn't, um, I don't think that was training volume, training frequency, stress management. Those things weren't taken in, in, into account, but what I can say confidently is that four months for most, for most women, if they've dieted for four to six months in a row is not enough time for them to recover testosterone and T3. So therefore, if you are dieting excessively like a yo-yo dieter, you know, most, most women will start at 20 years old and you compromise testosterone, which women do not have a lot of testosterone, right? Testosterone for women's made in the adrenals and the ovaries. And, you know, for them to be able to get that testosterone back can be very, very challenging. And the interesting thing there is that four months post-show, even reverse dieting properly, it had still not returned back to baseline. So how many of these women are compromising T3 and testosterone at 20 years old and then never actually bringing it back throughout their life? Like they're basically just living with low testosterone and low thyroid function. 
Now, can I actually change the subject before we get back into the prep? So <laughs> yeah, sure. this, this is something that I've always contemplated and I've asked every, I think, coach that we've had on here. So with someone that is severely dieting, okay, now the fat loss phase is over. Now yeah. we've talked abundance now about reverse. Now, yeah. what about, what are your thoughts on the recovery diet of, okay, right? Bringing carbohydrates super back up there and trying to stimulate those hormones back in a, a, a I guess, in a quicker fashion. Yeah. So for women, it's something I always do. Now, what, okay. what, what is the reason for you re relying more on the recovery rather than the reverse? Other than that, I guess sure. that's circumstances of, I guess, yeah. using so, a slower reverse, we're not getting those, those hormones back to where they, we, they are. Yeah. But I guess so, with the recovery, we're able to get those back. But a lot of individuals, when you say, hold on, I have to go back up to baseline, maybe even above baseline with recovery. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm watching the number on the scale spike back yeah. up, but we, but we all know here that that's not body fat. That's probably some water, like it's sure. replenishing some gut expansion, stuff like that. But what is your, I guess, another reasoning why you would prefer a recovery over uh, a reverse? Yeah. So there's a lot of context here and it's hard to answer these questions unless we, you know, kind of pinpoint exactly down to what, what we're talking about. Right. So, um, if I am working with, and keep in mind that you know, very small percentage of the population that's health seeking individuals want to compete ever. Okay. And that's why I transitioned my business from being a competition prep specific focus um, to being more general population focus was because I understood that the extremism, which was, you know, the extremism of contest prep was causing a lot of these these hormonal issues and I wanted to prevent it. Um, and so if we have like a more general population person that have, they just want to lose 20 pounds of fat, right? Usually what I'm doing to make sure that they respond well to the reverse diet or the recovery diet is I'm making sure that I'm prioritizing mitigation strategies during the fat loss phase. Okay. Now I played sports my entire life. I played football. And when I went into physique sport, I realized that bodybuilding was the only sport that didn't have a break. <laughs> Right. They didn't have a halftime. They didn't have quarter interrupts. They didn't. There was there, you know, you're just full bore all the time. And I said, why? How come nobody has any breaks in this thing? You know, and this was 2014. And I decided to give an athlete a break. And she was a female. Started to feel ran down, started to feel low energy, started to be very open with telling me this. And I said, well, you know what? I mean, we're already using a single day re refeed. You know, let's try two. She said, OK, let's try two. And what I did was I had her document how she felt before we started the refeed strategy. And then it went so well, we ended up doing it for five days. Now, at the time, that was all I was brave enough to do. Okay. Five days. That was it. And um, I ended up doing that that season with about a dozen people, men and women. And the feedback that I got was incredible. Okay. So back then, like I didn't have really have any other way to track it. I was just like, here's a word doc. How, answer these questions. And then five days later, answer these questions. And I said, okay, fine. So they did it. And at that, at that point in time, I realized that, man, like the bodybuilding world was missing out because I would see them like drop water weight. I would see them, you know, essentially look tighter. I would hear them respond back to me that I'm, oh, I can't believe how much better I feel because I'm eating more calories as a direct side effect of them eating more calories, specifically coming from carbohydrate. We can release serotonin. They can sleep better. They can recover better. Maybe we're also stacking a deload on top of that. And now we're basically giving them their halftime so that I could kind of, in, in essence, I could connect with them as the coach. 
You know, I could kind of tell them maybe here's some things we did wrong in the first half. Here's some things we need to change in the second half. And then we usually have about eight, eight to 12 more weeks to push it to get ready for, for their show. And I just saw it to be such a very valuable tool, not only for the health benefit that I saw, but the ability for them to adhere to the program. Because again, I was having females that were like, man, I feel like I, like I just have to eat more. And I'm like, what, what's my option? Like you're either probably going to binge or you're either going to cheat on your diet, which is going to sabotage everything, or I'm going to be proactive about this. Right. And so um, that was kind of how I guess it started, but that's important because that segues into how they're going to respond after the diet's over with. So if we can try to preserve as much metabolic health as humanly possible, Okay, we can essentially keep a lot of this metabolic adaptation at bay or hormonal dysfunction that can that can occur during a female fat loss journey for the stage, then they will handle the reverse diet or the recovery diet better. Okay, now I know that people have a tendency to like to like stick names on things and like this diet reverse diet, you know, and then this recovery diet, it can only be done a certain way. And the outcome is kind of the outcome is what it is. And there's no variance, it doesn't change. But there's a lot of variance between those two things. Okay, so what I like to do, and I haven't named this or anything, it's just a strategy I use, is that when I'm dieting a woman down, and let's say she's a general population client, okay, I'm being intentional with diet breaks and refeed strategies and stuff because I want to keep her healthy. If she is a healthy woman, she's having a monthly menstruation cycle, I'm using the menstruation cycle as our monthly report card. Are you getting the cycle? Are you not getting the cycle? If you didn't get the cycle, why not, you know, and then we're trying to get it back before it gets too far away from us. Okay. So if I'm refeeding them and maybe they're refeeding on 200 carbs, 250 carb or something like that, you know, dieting days are around like a buck 20, 100, 130, somewhere around there. Then think about the experience that they have during the fat loss phase. They have the experience of consistently eating more calories on days that are not predicated for fat loss. Okay. Now, when the diet's over with, there's no resistance. I just take their calories right back up to their refeeds or their diet break numbers, and then they maintain that. Now, keep in mind that these general population females, they're not trying to get stage lean. They're looking for sustainable, long-term, lifelong fat loss and metabolic control. So if I'm putting somebody in a position where they're having a lot of you know, metabolic adaptation, and then when they go to try to have you know, more calories at the end of a fat loss journey, but they have GI problems, you know, they have a bunch of bloating issues and stuff like that, it typically does not go according to plan. So I just use the same kind of system where I'm dieting you down, I'm using a break, I'm using some maybe back-to-back refeed days, and then immediately after the fat loss is over with and we've reached the goal, we're taking carbs back up to what they were for their high days or their diet breaks, and then we're letting that ride for at least two weeks. Now, normally what I see, because I'm not trying to have them gain back a bunch of fat because we're not necessarily looking at getting them to stage, but this is why I wanted to talk about the context, was because we could essentially keep them where they are. Now, after that two weeks, I'm typically going to ask them to get some bloods done. Because if I can take a look at that and I can see, okay, what happened during the fat loss phase? What do we need to be proactive about to basically make sure that we can get your hormones back to a healthy place or hormonal balance? That's what needs to be done at that time. So we can make sure that there isn't anything that goes AWOL. You know, there's nothing that's going to drastically start to creep up on us over time. 
Now, when you get that blood work back and say something does go AWOL, what do you, what would your, I guess, best indicator to do at that given moment? Would you kind of bring stuff back down to hopefully kind of control for that variance or are you just going to kind of let it ride out? Yeah. So um, I guess depending on how hard you push them, it's pretty common for um, things like progesterone, which is the calming female hormone to drop essentially just because stress has gone up, right? So if you don't um, add in any types of like deload phases or things like that to basically recover the system, you can find yourself in a position where stress is really high. Maybe there's a hormone imbalance that you're not, not aware of. So what, what we would do from that point is then try to create a protocol for that person to say, all right, well, stress is high. What can we add in supplement wise to basically help us out? What can we add in lifestyle wise to help us out? Do we have to take training from five days down to four or down to three? Do we need to take away your um, your physical exertion during training, like um, your rating of perceived exertion, your percentages, your RPEs, and all 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 that stuff? Um, and then. What can we do to try to optimize sleep? What can we do to take stimulants kind of away from your diet to make sure that, you know, adrenal function is, is optimized um, and you can try to you know, essentially make sure you can get into a really good state where stress is extremely low. Gosh, you know, I think it's, I think the overall message here, honestly, is to almost make dieting or again, setting yourself up for the second diet of either the reverse or the recovery to be as easy and the most functional as possible. And I think a lot of people forget about that process because we get so fixated of, hey, the results are happening. Now I just want to yeah. go back and go crazy. But what I'm hearing is, right, what can we do to, again, set you up for long term success and not run you yeah. through the ground and let this be a cycle where it's easy, it's sustainable, it's maintainable. And I think nowadays, I think with some of the research on refeeds and diet breaks, it's people like, it doesn't make a difference. What does yeah. it matter? But yeah. I guess when you look at like the dropout rate, those people that do have those diet breaks or they do have those refeeds, those people don't drop out. So sure. like you just said, it's sustainable and maintainable. And again, it's setting you up for long-term success. It's keeping you metabolically healthy. It's keeping you in this game a long time because correct me if I'm wrong, isn't like the average lifespan or the career of a bodybuilder like three to five years not very long at all you know um and yeah i mean i i i love all the touch points there um that you mentioned about just being proactive with it you know like again it's a perspective shift it's well a woman's gonna lose her cycle anyway it's just gonna happen right 10 percent of of women will keep their cycles in my opinion that's the laziest thing to say in my opinion it's just saying oh well we can't do anything about it anyways so why am I going to care? Why am I going to care about a female's hormones, right? Um, in my opinion, I have a different perspective because I coached a different way, right? So um, what I noticed was that women that have had worked with me for back-to-back -back seasons or multiple seasons in a row, I had some clients that would coach with me for like three years in a row, okay? And what I noticed was that when I used less diet breaks, less refeed strategies, cared less about stress, they would lose their cycles sooner. When I started to use more diet breaks, more stress management techniques, if they lost their period, they might not lose it until they were four weeks out if they lost it at all. And then the, sh like, the less time they go without it, the easier it is to get back. Mm -hmm. So like we'd be less than a month out, a month post-show, and they'd already have their cycle back. Whereas the, the longer out you are when you lose it, the harder it is to get back. Exactly. And I, again, the, that, that term stress continuously keeps popping up. So yeah, one, could you, I guess, define how you measure stress in your athletes and two, 
if stress is continuously high and you're implementing these refeeds, diet breaks, and even mitigating or manipulating um, training intensity and volume, what is, and I think I already asked this, but just that mindset shift, because things that I see from you, it's very positive outlook. And again, as you said before, some coaches just throw up their hands like, if you want to be great, you got to go through this shit. And if you don't want to go through this shit, then you ain't for me. Um, Well, I understand that too, because I was like that. Okay. Um, So I don't want anybody to think like I'm against anybody or anything like that. But at the same time, I just believe that there are methods that can, that you can use to help preserve health for a longer period of time. If you don't take these things into account, either A, it's just because you're being lazy or B, you just don't care. Right now, we both know people can get lean for competition without using refeeds. We know that. However, a lot of those women that are also getting lean, not using refeeds and are stepping on stage, so on and so forth, they also typically have the worst rebound after the competition. Why is that? Why why does that happen? Um, In my opinion, it's because of the stress response. So if you think about it, the the deeper hole you dig, the harder it is for you to get out of. Now, how we gauge stress is pretty easy. I mean, we can either, before you start your prep diet or you start your fat loss diet, we could have labs done and we could just check cortisol. We can check fasted blood sugar, okay? We can just ask the person like about their biofeedback. How are they sleeping? Do they feel like they're stressed? Do they feel like they're anxious a lot? Like what's going on? Now, I'm all for hard work. I'm all for pushing the gas. I'm all for turning pro. I'm all for, you know, balls to the wall. Like I understand it. But at the same time, I also think that people need to be open-minded to the potential differences in male and female physiology. And we could actually, in my opinion, protect a lot of women from having a lot of these negative hormonal issues that they're dealing with now, such as things like hypothyroidism, very low testosterone, estrogen dominance, and, you know, a myriad of other things. I'm thinking of the strict physique research. I think there was a review done. I wish I knew off the top of my head what this review was, but it was stating once even females that are, if you return to your original weight, your baseline weight before you went into your prep, if you return to that after the show, that doesn't technically mean that you are out of that prep. Uh, There's still a lot of physiological stress that, like you said, can be seen by these measures, making sure it gets back up to what the original amount was. But I for, I wish I knew the timeline too, but one, it was eye-opening. Mm-hmm. The, the female returned to her original weight and it was like 27, 29 months later or something. She, after she returned to her original weight, she regained her menstrual cycle back. Yeah. So there's definitely a body fat set point theory, um, uh, homeostasis theory, all that stuff. Um, And what I've seen is that for most women, when they're dieting down, if they happen to go into a phase of amenorrhea or something like that, you have to think about why is that essentially happening? In many cases, it's because there's a lot of stress present and stress and progesterone cannot live cohesively, you know, in the same room. Like one of them is going to be high, one's going to be lower, one's going to be low, one's going to be high. And so if you apply too much stress, you know, you have a tendency to lose your cycle. Okay. Um, a lot of it's just because you don't have the energy availability to fuel follicle stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone, and thus progesterone. So, um, with that being said, I mean, there are, I I mean, if you look at like the biggest loser research and you can see that people, you know, they, they had some form of metabolic adaptation for like six years after the traumatic incidents that occurred on the show. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for that. 
Um, but at the same time, again, I, I'm just more so on the side of being health focused now than I was back then, which was just, we just got to get you hundred percent stage lean peeled and, you know, and I think this is a really big factor. If you are listening in on this, thinking about your stress, it's not just, uh, what you think it might be. It, it takes account <laughs> a lot of other things. It's more than just your work. Maybe some don't even consider their work stressful, but your work is going to be stressful. Uh, if you're moving, if you're starting a new job, if you're getting married, if you have to travel, if you plan on having three weeks laid off of work, all yeah. of these things are going to factor into your progress and is something you need to consider before trying to go into a very stage lean state of health. Yeah. I mean, I would also add that like most people that will tell you they're not stressed, they're very classic type A personality types, right? It's like they get shit done every day. There's no back off pedal to the metal. You know, they're always high anxiety. They're always high stress. And most people don't understand the fact that just putting your body into a calorie deficit, if you're already relatively lean is a stressor on your system, right? Like if you're 300 pounds and you got a ton of adiposity, like you going into a calorie deficit is actually going to improve your health. But depending on, you know, how lean we're trying to get, that will, that will be a stressor. Uh, the, the training in and of itself is a stressor. And I don't think that the applied stress is a problem. I think applied stress is great, especially if you want to, you know, build muscle, but recovery, people aren't recovering enough, especially females. Okay. So, you know, if you think about that, can we apply stress? Yeah, absolutely. I've had a lot of women make great progress just training four days a week. Whereas when they came to me, they're training like six or seven days a week. We back that down to four and they're like, I'm going to lose all my gains. I'm like, no, you're probably going to build, build, build more, you know, because now we're not essentially breaking down amino acids all the time. And we're not, you know, digging super deep into those muscle fibers and you're essentially not experiencing your ability to recover as optimally as you could. So, yeah, I think in terms of stress, um, again, we have to define kind of what it is, you know, like traumatic incidents are stressful. Life is stressful. Having kids is stressful. Being reactive all the time is stressful. Calorie deficits are stressful. High, high amounts of high intensity cardio are stressful. Um, all these things are stresses, but people don't identify training as a stress. People identify training as a reduction of stress. That's exactly what I was about to touch on too. Yeah. Uh, I see it all the time working at crunch and every, like, I'll just make casual conversation with the members or anything. And I'm like, so what's like, I'm Chris, I'm a trainer here. Like, what's some of the reasons you like to come into the gym? And they're like, oh, I need it for my mental health. I do it like yeah. to manage my stress. And I'm like, okay, but like, can I just maybe pick your mind for a second? I was like, what else do you do outside of the gym? Because people don't realize that okay, if you're very stressed out because your body's not looking how you want it to, yeah. okay, stressing it out more by taking calories away, like you said, isn't going to be beneficial possibly. And then if, like you said, adding cardio is going to be adding more stress, adding more training is going to add more stress. So what are these other methods outside of the gym that we can really help manage stress? Yeah. So for a lot of people that are like that, I talk about this, um, quite a lot, but it's like basically living in a sympathetic dominant environment. So imagine this life and some of your listeners, they might connect with this, but you know, my eyes open because I have a two-year-old that jumps on my face. Okay. <laughs> okay. The minute you wake up, you're in reaction. Okay. The minute your eyes open, you realize how many things you didn't get done before your kids woke up. Okay. The minute you open your eyes, you realize, oh, I might be late for work and I got to get my kids to school and I got to get to the office and I got to clock in on time and I got my boss that's there and there's all these things. So 
what I like to tell people is, can you just start your day being proactive by waking up before everybody else? Give yourself 30 minutes. You know, whatever you're going to do in that 30 minutes, you want to walk, you want to talk, you want to talk to yourself, you want to pray, you know, whatever you want to do for that time, just give yourself some time for you. And if you can give yourself time for you, when the kids wake up, you're no, you're no longer in reaction mode. You've been proactive and thus you're ready for them to get up. So maybe if you're a busy mom or something like that, and you know, you can wake up 30 minutes early, you can make yourself a cup of coffee, you can go get dressed, you can get ready, and then you're already ready. And then the kids are up. Life is a lot easier now. You know what I'm saying? So what are some parasympathetic things that we could Uh-oh, we lost him. Is he going to come back? I don't know. Give it a second. I think we should give it a little bit. Either way, we could just cut this out. Will, if you're still talking, my man, we can't hear yeah, you. Some I oh, said well, you just cut out for a second. You you yeah, we cut you got cut out after this is the stuff we would do for a parasympathetic state. Oh, okay. Can, can you hear me now? <laughs> yeah. Well we, we hear you good and we see you now. We'll go ahead and resume the audio right now. Okay, cool. So uh, as far as what a parasympathetic state would be and how you could transition from a sympathetic dominant state, you're just thinking about doing things that would very easily like calm you down. So if you go take a long walk, on that walk, you can't do anything else but think and walk. That's it right? You're not like looking at the, you're not looking at your phone, you trip over a rock and split your head open. Just put the phone in the pocket or leave the phone at the house and just go for a walk. It's calming. Okay. The other thing you would want to make sure of is that you're actually increasing or adding carbohydrate back in to your, to, to your diet, because for females and males, both more so I, I notice it for females. And I think timing of this matters as well, but carbohydrates help to release serotonin, which is also a calming hormone. So it's not uncommon for me to actually stack carbohydrate in the last meal of the day for women that are having problems sleeping. Okay. Another thing you could do to optimize sleep quality, because again, if we can optimize sleep quality, we can actually get stress off the body. Uh, maybe supplement with something like ash ashwagandha. And then you could also supplement with something like magnesium before bed. Now, women that train maybe really early in the morning, I think it'd be a good idea to actually supplement with ashwagandha post-workout because they're going from being in this high-stress environment, depending on how hard they train, we want to get them back down into a parasympathetic environment as fast as possible, okay? Um, and really anything like maybe even like yoga. I've only tried yoga once, but I can tell you it was super chill and I loved it. Um, but yeah, I mean, just spending less time being reactive and spending more time being proactive with your life uh, will help get your anxiety, you know, to go down. Yeah. And it could be the littlest things like the, uh, the ashwagandha. That's something that I am, I, I swear to all my clients on, they're like, is there anything that I can like, I can take to help me with my stress and yeah. ashwagandha. Like I take it every single day, a thousand milligrams, I think minimum, uh, the best recommendations like 500 or 750 or it's somewhere within that. But I drastically noticed a change. Uh, and it's just the little things like take your take yeah. time, take time off for yourself. When I wake yeah. up, instead of going straight into reactive mode, my alarm, when my alarm goes off, I spend a minute just focusing on breathing, taking deep breaths, just really yeah. trying to focus on myself. And I started that like a week ago and it's helped my sleep too. Yeah. Good for you, man. I mean, I know, you know, being a young guy, like I felt like I could do everything. Like I could take over the entire world. And in all fairness, like I, I 
I did. Like I, I was about to say, you damn near did it, man. You know, it was I just it was inspiring at the beginning of the podcast, saying you're here for jobs. You was doing all this for free and stuff like that. Like, I think yeah. nowadays, and I know we're getting a little off topic, but nowadays people that want to get in this fitness industry, they think it should just be handed them to a silver platter. Here's all your clients. <laughs> it's like, yeah, come on yeah. now, like. It, yeah. it, nothing in life's gonna happen like that especially yeah. when you have somebody's health um, no. in your hands it's it's just shouldn't come like that especially yeah. because you have to take so, really consideration because you can screw somebody up big time yeah i mean i'd also add like as far as stress goes like people need to stop <clears throat> running from their problems like you got to face them. They, they follow you for the rest of your life. Like just face your problems, you know? And again, people hang on to that like all day long, right? They think that you could just keep running from their problems, but your problems aren't going to go away unless you solve them. You know? Yeah. And I think one great book to talk about stress is this book right here. The upside of stress. Mm, I haven't heard of it. I'm trying to get the individual on our podcast because the, some of the stuff, the mindset shift of just like you just said, taking stress head on, yeah. is probably something for you to really switch your mindset of saying, oh my God, that, like you were talking about that sympathetic parent or the sympathetic state of yeah. thinking, oh my God, my body's fighting against me, but almost sometimes flipping and saying, my body's doing what I, it needs to do because I'm prepared to do this. And almost yeah. switching your mind into that will allow you to have a less of a sympathetic state and more of a parasympathetic state and allowing you to go ahead and perform your best instead of fighting that, that state. Um, yeah. but I agree hundred percent. A lot of us, they run away or when we get uncomfortable, that's when we, we just, we don't want to push through it. Yeah. Um, especially yeah. when you're telling somebody, Hey, let's try to increase food. Let's try to decrease this and this and this and this, but like what we live in a society where it's all about more. Um, and if mm-hmm. we can't have more then we're doing something wrong for some way. Absolutely. I love the book recommendations. I'll go ahead and add another one. The cortisol connection, phenomenal book. Um, if you haven't read it, I would highly advise, uh, really everybody read it because i think it connects a lot of dots and on that topic why don't you just go ahead and drop your top three you just did one go ahead give us two more of your your book recommendations we like to do that yeah we like to do that at the end of each podcast top three (laughs) recommendations Um, honestly top three i guess morning routine or routines that you feel that really help you i guess just operate how you are sure um Man, uh, so I guess there's like education books, but then there's my work of like the personal development side of what I do. Um, education books, I mean, I think um, I think Lyle McDonald's The Woman's Book Volume 1 is incredible in terms for education. Um, I got to give a shout out to, to Lane for creating some awesome books as well. So like Fat Loss Forever is a great book if you're looking for education. Um, and then The Cortisol Connection, I think is really good as well because it kind of connects the dots in terms of like how our body handles stress and stuff like that. Um, as far as personal development goes, man, um, I'll probably say like, I like the, the alchemist. Um, I like, I like the go giver, probably another one of my favorites. Um, and I'll stop on those. That's five. (laughs) That works. That works. Now, what are three things that you feel um, that you do on a normal routine that kind of, you know, helps you flow and just operate? Yeah, that's an awesome, awesome question. Um, definitely waking up early, 
regardless of whether or not I want to or not. You know, uh, there are times I, I, I don't want to wake up first thing in the morning before the sun's up. But, you know, I kind of have this game that I like to play where I try to beat the sun up, you know. So um, definitely waking up early. Again, if I don't wake up early, I'm in a reaction. If I wake up early, I get I get up, I get out of the house, I'm in my office and I can zone out for like three hours before the sun's even up, you know. And if I can have that happen in my life, it's it's a game changer. Yeah, I agree. I think I forgot one quote. It was from 10,000 hours. I'm a huge basketball guy. I play college okay, basketball. Cool. It was 10,000 hours. He said, you got to take note. The richest and the most successful individuals, they just get up before the sun gets up. <laughs> they, they're always three hours ahead of everyone. And then yeah. they're still staying up late. But yeah. they, they, they live the life that they want. And again, that's it's a sacrifice. But I hate that word sacrifice. It's an investment into what you want to do with your life. It absolutely is. Yeah. And I think, you know, early on, I tried to do both. Like I tried to be the guy that woke up early and the guy that went to bed late and I burned myself out really, really bad. <laughs> so yeah, I just decided I'm like, well, when am I the most productive? Uh, and that's, that's definitely first thing in the morning, man. So um, yeah, usually, I mean, I'm some, I'm still working between 12 and 14 hours a day though. So. Hey, so Mr. Will, we appreciate your time and essence and expertise with everything that you've been uh, educating us on. Um, give us give us our listeners where they could find you website, Instagram, YouTube, all of that good stuff. Yeah, sure. So um, the website is uh, theeducateddieter.com. Depending on when you guys check this out, we will have a free ebook that will be available. It's called The Guide to Diet the dieting smarter. Um, my Instagram is at William underscore Grazione. Um, and I don't, I think that's a, I think that's enough. <laughs> Got it, my man. Now, we, we, like I said, we really appreciate it. And I think the essence of this whole podcast is again, be educated and train smart, not harder all the time. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely times you have to train hard and diet hard, depending on what your goal is. But at the same time, there show you should always be thinking about the future. You heard it here first. That's all the smoke on strength of physique with Mr. Will.